here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. All right, folks, welcome to a live taping of The Drop Zone, the best golf podcast in the world. Uh, we're here to be your entertainment or at least your background noise for the next few minutes. Uh, my name is Dylan DeChair. To my left is Claire Rogers and then Luke Curtinine, all of golf.com. Uh, thanks for being here. So where we are specifically is the first men's major championship held in the state of Massachusetts my home state, since 1988. So this is big times. We were at the course today. We were at the course yesterday. Uh, the number of fans and the level of enthusiasm over there suggests that this is going to be a big deal. And then the fact that the eyes of the world, or at least the sports world, are kind of focused on golf right now means this is going to be a very interesting week. Luke, I'll start with you. What is the story so far of this U.S. Open? So I think it's obviously live golf. Right. Much to the players' chagrin in many cases. I mean, Justin Thomas was trotted out there earlier today and said, you know, I'm, I know you guys feel it. Um, I certainly, I certainly feel it. And we're here at the U.S. Open, all this history, one of the most iconic major venues in the U.S. Open rotor. And the first, second, third question are all about, you know, pretty intense lines of questioning about live golf and, and what is live golf just for like people in our large and beautiful audience today that aren't really familiar with the, the day in day out golf drama so live golf is this upstart alternate tour week in week out tour that's funded by um i don't know the official but basically by saudi arabian money and so that's been a huge point of controversy uh in the golf world not just because of its disruptive nature but because of the source of the money that's doing the disrupting it's like truly splintered the tour in two player against player uh, governing bodies against other governing bodies and the thing about this that this is not a small scale operation i mean they are now poaching top players they are uh the just dividing golf essentially yeah yeah claire who's on either side of that divide right now like who are the pga tour spokespeople who are the faces of the live tour so the live tour is kind of phil was the first one to commit so i would say i all eyes are on phil this week but we've had more commits as we've gone on bryson patrick reed a bunch of guys dustin johnson um and then we have the loyalists the pga tour <laughs> justin thomas and rory mcelroy are kind of spearheading that but I also would say Jordan Spieth kind of although he hasn't spoken out really there's been like he's sticking with those guys and I think he's the face of it as is uh Colin Morikawa Scotty Shuffler yeah where it's really getting awkward is I mean as early as the practice rounds because you're seeing guys talking pretty tough in press conferences you know either uh speaking out in favor of live or mostly like guys that are staying condemning the whole thing but then you see, like, John Rahm, who spoke out in favor of the PGA Tour as effectively as anybody has so far, was playing a practice round today with Phil Mickelson. Max Homa, who's been loyal to the PGA Tour throughout it, was playing with Taylor Gooch, who's a good friend of his, who was a surprising addition to the Saudi League. So, I mean, everywhere you kind of see that awkward dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny because players themselves are sort of dancing this thin line where they're having to kind of question their friends' decision while also 
you know, throwing their lot in with a PGA Tour while also having their own sort of best interest in mind in the sense where they don't necessarily love the idea of the PGA Tour coming down incredibly hard on all these players because... You know, they, you'll, you'll hear this line talked about a lot being independent contractors. They sort of want this baseline freedom to be able to bounce around to choose. And the idea that a governing body can kind of sanction them in some ways is, you know, good in this specific instance in their mind, but not necessarily something they want normalized at scale. So it's this really complicated, interesting, messy dynamic that just is top of every player's mind right now, truly. All right, we'll get more into that for sure. But when it comes to the actual tournament itself, Claire, as a native of New England, at least, not specifically Boston, what does it mean for the tournament to be here this week? I think there's a lot of history here. Um, I saw Justin Leonard today. People are really excited um, to be in Boston. It's interesting because I feel like we're not often, I guess we're not technically in Boston, but we're in a big city, around a big city, which doesn't always happen with majors. So I think there's a lot of excitement. I know a bunch of players are going to Fenway tonight. They're hoping to go to the Celtics uh, later this week. So I think there's a lot of excitement about Boston because it's not a common stop. Um, and the course, a bunch of these guys, like when they were teenagers, played in the U.S. am there. So it's fun to come back. It's been a while. So, Luke, what's one weird, specific, anything observation from your travels around the golf course today? Oh, I think we're really like in line for a feisty crowd this week. I mean, we'll get into some of the core stuff, but I think these like Boston fans are really going to get after it. I saw one fan today little drunk just looked max <laughs> homer in the eyes and just say so max are you gonna finish outside the top 20 this week or what and i'm just like that's such a specific insult <laughs> to be hurling at this like well-liked pj tour player but i just it's just gonna if this is a tuesday practice round it's just gonna get more and more intense claire we walked around with like the the focus group of the afternoon i guess justin thomas jordan spieth ricky fowler joel damon is there anything that stood out from that um, Justin was playing really well. I think they said he made like four birdies, but also just like them trying to get a feel of the greens. And I think someone pointed out that like, this is not a stop that they're used to or they're, you know, year in and year out. So there are so many, like I would say it was a very slow practice round so today slow. Yeah. because they're hitting shots from every angle. They're still trying to figure out the rough. They're trying to figure out the sand, the greens. They're putting like four practice holes, just trying to figure it out. Um, a lot of long par fours. Joel was kind of our guy. He said he's hoping for a top 25 this week, which is always refreshing. <laughs> Shooting so. for the stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I want us to kind of run through 10 burning questions, maybe FAQs, um, and dive into a little bit of what we've learned about the course so far, the field, and the storylines this week. So where I want to start is with Phil Mickelson because uh, he gave a press con the first press conference of the week. He's been the figurehead of this Live Golf Tour, and now he's here trying to win his elusive U.S. Open. It's the 30th time he's played this event. Uh, somehow he's still the focus of the entire tournament. Luke, will Phil get booed this week? I, I don't think Phil is going to come anywhere close to getting booed this week. I think the guy is still an icon, like an absolute icon among the fans out there uh, they were excited to see him they're chanting his name still in tuesday practice rounds i mean like golf fans outside of the Ryder cup it's pretty high bar to get them to boo specific players but i actually think phil definitely has the 
public. I mean, the golf fandom support on this side. They're just excited to see him back. Claire, is Luke wrong? Um, well, today was interesting. We saw him hit one tee shot and people are like screaming live, laugh, love at him. A little live bit. But I think they want to see good golf and they get excited for Phil. So I don't think it's going to be vicious at all. I think they're going to like what he brings. Yeah. My, I mean, I, I guess my prediction is probably a little bit softer than Luke's, but I think he's going to get some heckling, especially Friday afternoon, Saturday. Is the, well, I guess he's not going to be here on Saturday. For, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Friday when the fans start getting a little riled up, there's going to be a few people in the crowd that um, let him hear it. But yeah, I guess by and large, it's a good reminder that to the average golf fan, they're not in the weeds with us. They're not going through the, the moral debates, which I get is why this new league is potentially so effective because, you know, not everyone can go that deep on every golfer. And Phil is the most familiar face in this field. And for that reason, he's probably going to get the biggest crowds. But that leads me to question number two, which is who will have the biggest crowds? Yeah, outside of Phil Mickelson, obviously. I think there's some intrigue around Bryson, maybe. I mean, he's very much in the in the middle of all this live stuff. A guy it wouldn't surprise me to hear get booed, quite frankly. I mean, I think <laughs> on the one side, Phil has built up enough equity in the preceding years that I think fan, mainstream, mainstream sports fans are going to hold on to that. Bryson doesn't necessarily have that. He could very well get booed and heckled, and he's sort of been anonymous from the tour scene. So I think there's a certain amount of intrigue there. Um, obviously, Rory McIlroy's coming in extremely hot, yeah. too. I reckon he's going to be a potential fan favorite, too. Sort of establishment figure defending Warrior of the Light for the PGA Tour. So. <laughs> uh, you talked to Bryson today, though, Luke, before we move on from that, because I think that's interesting. What have you learned about how these deals get done or what Bryson's plans are or why he's going to join this new tour. Is there any inside info that you can share? So Bryson said this deal came together in 36 hours. <laughs> he said that effectively he had thrown his lot in with a PGA tour and take it with a grain of salt. But he said this was a genuine decision he had come to. Liv said they were going to make him an offer and they said, we're not really interested, and they said, we're going to anyway. It came together really quickly. They effectively picked a number that Liv matched over the course of around four years, it sounds like. And it sounds like it's the highest guaranteed money uh, of any player to have committed wow. thus far. So, and again, he said it was a 36, in the, in the course of 36 hours, this all came to, uh, it, it all came together. And he was quite frank about it when I spoke to him today. He's like, honestly, this is a business decision. This is a generational amount of money that will go towards me, my f current family, my future family. And yeah. I mean, to be clear, if it's the highest number, then that means it's in the range of or more than like $200 million of guaranteed income. It sounds like between 150 and 200 was the vibe I was getting. Jeez. Shy of 200, but probably inching over 150, <laughs> which is a pretty intense amount of money. Claire, is there anyone that's going to be more watched than Phil... Rory and Bryson this week? I think Jordan Spieth always gets a good crowd going. Kind of, I mean, we were watching them today. They were more followed than anyone else, I would say. Um, I would say Spieth and then Justin Thomas. I think Spieth just always gets a crowd because people love him. People love Michael Greller as caddy. So I'm expecting that. Just, I mean, like, I followed Scotty Shuffler this morning, world number one Masters champion, and there was not a lot of people following him. So that was interesting. So I think it's going to be based off, yeah, Spieth, Rory. 
and then Phil. There are definitely a few players that are at the top of the world that are still relatively anonymous to like most of the sports public. Um, Scotty Scheffler being like chief among them. Cameron Smith, I think, is still more a cult favorite than anything else. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting. But I do think there's a strange effect of Tiger Woods not being here, where the crowd gets spread out more evenly which actually I think is good for the tournament at large. I'm definitely sad not to have Tiger here, but there's an, there's an effect of making the entire thing seem more legitimate when the crowds are spread out throughout the entire property, especially around the clubhouse and the, and the gates and the hot dog stands and the consent. But it, that's already been happening. Like it's already a very legit crowd in my experience. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It definitely disperses the crowd. It, it also doesn't supercharge the crowd either. I mean, there really is like an electric atmosphere when Tiger Woods is on the course. Any putt that goes in, the ante, the ante is just raised just a little bit further, you know? And I think it's quite funny because what you see with a lot of players is they sort of treat it like a, a double-edged sword. They really want Tiger Woods coming back. But then sometimes you can, in my mind, you can sort of sense them feeling like, you know, I am the number one player in the world right now. No one's following me because they're on the other side of the course watching Tiger Woods, you know, lumber his way to an to a even par round. Claire, do you have mixed feelings about Tiger's absence? Yes, for sure. I say after the PGA, I was like, there's no way he's going to play, but you secretly hold out hope. But I also feel like I worry a lot about Tiger when he plays golf, even though I have no, no reason to. But I think... You know, it's good. He'll prep for the Open, and hopefully we'll see him there. But he's definitely missed this week. What do you think he is thinking right now watching all of this play out? Put on your Tiger <laughs> brain cap. I think, I mean, he spoke about it. When was last time? At the PGA, he said there are reasons. He's talked to Jay Monahan about different things. Um, definitely, like, them using his face for events that he's not playing. So, But he's had the conversations, which I don't know if a lot of players have. So I think he's kind of scoffing at it because, he, I mean, he was offered, what, they said $750 million. Sorry, sorry. And he was like, no. So I think he thinks the whole thing is a little ridiculous. Also, he's created more history on tour than anybody else. So I, this is what's important to him. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to what Tiger Woods is thinking, but I can speak to a little bit of what uh, Sean Zark is thinking out there in Scotland because he had a Tiger Woods question he wanted me to oh, wow. actually pose to you today, Dylan. I, I'll just go ahead and read this out because I don't quite understand many of the words in it. But he goes, uh, Dylan, is Jason Tatum's performance <laughs> in Game 5 after wearing a Tiger Woods shirt oh, to the geez. game more of an indictment on himself or of Tiger Woods? I don't think the timing was great. Put it that way. I mean, I think if he could have found like a vintage Rory McIlroy <laughs> shirt, graphic t-shirt, then that might have gone over better given that Tiger Woods did not show up this week, this similar to how Jason Tatum did not show up in the second half last night, as I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah, more of a Zonda Shoffley performance, I'd say. <laughs> um, anyway, I think that there is some irony to the fact that Tiger's not here this week on the same week that the PGA Tour is... Crumbling is probably too dramatic, but splintering more than it ever has throughout his career. This is a guy who built, helped build the tour up to the point where it's now such a valuable commodity that people are going to pay nine-figure deals to some other famous players involved. Um, all right, question number four. What's the rough like? It's a U.S. Open. That's always one of the biggest lead-up questions. How hard is it going to be if guys miss the fairway? How essential is that? What will the carnage be like? Luke, you've studied this quite a bit. What do you think? 
Yeah, so rough out there is truly quite juicy. I love it. <laughs> I think we're really in. We're really about to get one of these classic hard slog of a U.S. Open here, and I think it's going to be right on the cusp. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this thing spiral out of control. The rough is up. The fairways are tight. The lies are awkward. I had a couple coaches tell me yesterday. This is Monday morning. They come up to me and start complaining. You know, these greens, they look like they're about to get out of yeah. control. They're rolling at 11 and a half. They said if they get any faster than this, they're going to not hold greens. These balls aren't going to stop. On is greens. 11 and a half fast? 11 and a half is not generally, when you're talking about major championships, considered that fast. And the big issue here, just in a nutshell, is because the greens are really small and they're really sloping. And which means you can only put the pin in places where it's relatively flat. And so what happens is these small surface area greens are basically contracted even more. These areas are gonna get really trampled. The ball's gonna start bubbling and bouncing all over the place. That's gonna firm out the greens. It's gonna be right on the line. And I think what we're gonna see is this thing spiral in a kind of Shinnecock direction. <laughs> Clara, what did you learn from watching guys <laughs> chip in the rough around the greens? Well, uh, Jordan was what like in a on, in the fairway, not in the green, and he like just kind of hacked it out thirty yards and even get into the air. So that was kind of surprising to see that. And then on like green side uh, rough, it was just they were hitting three, four balls to try and get a feel of it, and we're still not putting it close to the pin, or it was then rolling off the green. Yeah. yeah. So we saw more, I mean, I would say each guy hit at least three chips from around the rough today. So it's super thick. Uh, flop shots are going to be, which is fun. We love seeing flop everywhere. shots. Everywhere. Guys yeah, are taking everywhere. giant, giant swings to hit the ball like as, as short possible a distance as they can, it seems yeah. like. And I'm curious when they'll like stop cutting it this week, if they're going to keep cutting it, if it's just going to get worse. So The interesting thing about what you're saying, Luke, is that guys are already primed to turn on the USGA because of the history with the US Open, because of things like Shinnecock, um, because there has been this tradition of sending courses to the edge and then over the edge where balls are not stopping on greens, where the rough is insane, where it all gets too baked out. How real is the possibility that this gets nasty? Yeah, I think it's very real. I think it will get nasty, quite frankly. I think it should get nasty. I think, you know, these pros get coddled on a week-in, week-out basis. They get low rough, they get soft greens, they get, you know, reachable par fives, and they get short par fours. It's all right to say that one week a year, we are going to put them through the ringer, and we're going to make them hit fairways, and we're going to make them deal with bobbly putts, and I think that's fine, and I think that pros... They may they may not have to like it, but I do think they're accepting that this is their fate this week. Do you think that's a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Claire? Yeah, I think it's a great thing. It'll be very interesting to see them hack it around this week. And we kind of said, like, oh, if you can hit fairways and greens, you're totally fine here. But the reality is, like, no one was hitting every single fairway. So it's going to get messy pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess that that's one clear thing about the course is that it's not an easy... The targets are small. The greens are like famously small. It's really difficult to hit these little, little greens, but it's also difficult to hit the fairways. You can see where the normal cuts are, where the average member plays it, and then you can see that they've just tightened it in like, I don't know, 40% from there for these guys. And then as the fairways get firm, the balls are just going to keep rolling. They're going to roll off into the rough. It's going to get a little windy. It's going to get very 
very difficult. Um, who is coming in under the radar this week? Claire, can you think of anyone? Davis they... Riley. Oh, Davis Riley. Yeah. He, um, what? He, I mean, that's not a name I think most golfers <laughs> or like golf fans might recognize, but he's, yeah. he's been in contention like two or three times, had a couple top tens that, I don't know, I think he's someone kind of like Sam Burns was maybe two years ago where people aren't really paying attention to him, but he could like sneaky, like be top 10 at some point. I think that's a great pick. He's been in the mold of like Will Zalatoris a little bit, plays very well at difficult courses um, and definitely is not a key player in the storylines this week. Luke, I don't want your full on sleeper pick yet. I just want you to tell me who, who, who's not being talked about that usually does get talked about. You know, so we'll, I'll explain why I'm circling around some of these names, but I think there's a few juicy ones out there. You know, Sung J M. You know, there's a guy contended at the Masters. He, I could see him doing, making some noise here. Well, you know, what about Matt Fitzpatrick potentially? If it's in the final group of the PGA and won the U.S. Amateur here in uh, 2013, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you know, he's a guy coasting in under the radar. Uh, yeah. I feel like. We're forgetting a little bit about John Rahm and how good he is at golf. He won the event last year. He's now, I guess he's now getting a little bit more attention because he's stepping up to, to speak out in favor of the PGA Tour. But I, I feel like with, between Scotty Scheffler, between all this live stuff, um, between, yeah, guys staying or leaving, we've forgotten that for a while this guy was very clearly the best golfer in the world. Uh, he's won in his last two or three starts still. Uh, he, he comes in as the defending champion. He seems fairly likely to repeat, so I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll get to official picks later, but I do think that people are sleeping on John Rahm a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he, he is truly, like, was the best golfer by a country mile last year, and he's going to win the USA. Who is going to be the best player this week who has committed to the Live Tour? I saw uh, Sam Horsfield. I think he finished in the top five last week. You know, he's a... Uh, Who is Sam Horsfield? <laughs> so, uh, upcoming uh, young English golfer. Um, sort of claim to fame was that he moved over, played at the University of Florida, moved over to Florida when he was a young guy. So he's like a very Americanized uh, English player. Future Ryder Cupper if he's allowed to play in the Ryder Cup. I saw him floating around, I think, Two, you know, plus 1,200, maybe. I could be ma making that up. But finished in the top five of the live event. Uh, he's, he's really... Do I, we've done a couple shoots with him. He's got a few... He's got all the tools. Sort of hits the ball far. Good putter. Proven winner on the European tour. just jumped to live. I think, he's a, I think he's a decent value pick. Claire, do you have a pick here? We're looking at the... We're looking yeah. at the sheet here. The favorites I'm not are like particularly, Dustin Johnson, like, I don't Louis feel Oosties great about any of them. I don't think DJ, I mean, DJ hasn't done much lately. Um, I could see Patrick Reed randomly. Mm. He almost ran me over today in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, what did he say? He was like, he said that would only hurt for a minute. And I was like, you're worth yeah. a lot of money. Maybe I should get hit by the car. <laughs> I didn't know if he was implying that you would just be dead. If yeah, that was like I don't know. But it was kind of a dark joke. <laughs> um, but I, I could see him this week. I don't know. I feel like DJ, I haven't seen any magic from him lately. I hope he surprises us. But we haven't seen Bryson much. I don't know. I think that there's a strong case to be made for Patrick Reed. A, because he's been playing better golf recently. He's been driving it a lot better. Made an, a maybe key equipment change. 
There's also something that could happen here where guys, where everyone is going to miss a bunch of greens, and therefore the guys that are best at scrambling are going to probably rise to the top. And and maybe that that's a case for Patrick Reed um, hanging around. I mean, I do think there's a possibility that Bryson DeChambeau plays well. We have not seen any evidence of it recently. He doesn't look that great, but he did win the U.S. Open two years ago, less than two years ago. He was convinced that this place is similar to Winged Foot, which I thought was quite interesting because Rory McIlroy was convinced this place was nothing like Winged Foot. So I, I, it's kind of so yeah. What, talk about that a little bit. So what what was Winged Foot? And what is this? And so, how are the two similar or different? So in a nutshell, Bryson was able to wing, win at winged foot because he just mashed his driver way down there into the rough. But he could sort of get away with it because he could hack his wedges out of the rough, land them kind of short of the green, and let them sort of release up into these greens. He'd kind of roll them onto the greens. That's not really possible from what I've seen here at Brookline because there's things like bunkers short of the green, there's rough short of the green, there's false fronts, there's slopes sloping away from golfers as you approach the green. So I think he is kind of an optimistic reading there, but obviously he's a pro golfer, so maybe he's seeing something I'm not, but I'm going to go with Rory on that one. Who will be the low PGA Tour spokesman this week? So... By that, I basically mean the guys that have spoken out, that have planted their flag on Team PGA Tour, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and John Rahm. Um, interestingly, two of them born outside the U.S., but now riding hard for the U.S. Tour. Actually, Rory is on the, the Team TaylorMade, which has, uh, what is it, April 14th, uh, 1755, stamped on his bag this week which means that rory who is from the uk has a bag that's celebrating the start of the american revolution which i was very funny and kind of fitting of how all of this is all twisted up and rory is really a true american anyway of those three guys claire who's going to be low man this week i want it to be rory but i think it's going to be justin thomas but i think Either of those two will be good options to go low this week. They've both been playing so well. JT, the PGA, last week. He's on a good run here. Luke? I, th- I think John Rahm is, of those three, the guy best primed to defend his US Open title. All right. I guess I'll just split it up evenly. I'll take Rory McIlroy. I mean, they are like the three favorites to play well. And so it's interesting that, I mean, if you look at the guys that have defected to live, Nobody in that list is necessarily playing the best golf of their life. It's a lot of guys that are uh, either at the end of their career or in a serious downturn in their career. And if you look at the guys that have committed and the guys that are rumored to have committed, that's so far almost universally true. You know, by contrast, the guys that are playing the best golf of all want to keep the status quo as it is. So I, I guess that there's probably no coincidence there. That's probably like a, a direct correlation. Oops, sorry, I, uh, I totally... spacing out into the <laughs> distance there. I was just thinking of John Rahm lifting that trophy <laughs> and Rory McIlroy looking sad after a third round, 76, sadly. Oh, God, that is distressing. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's tell people who's going to actually win the golf tournament and then where they might find some value if they're looking to put some uh, investments in at home. Luke, I know that you probably have a lengthy sheet of investments already. Do you want to take me through like who you have your eye on to, to contend and not necessarily win here first? Yeah. So, I mean, 
for some context here, I've really dived deep into the statistics and I've really- Yeah, give me your theory. So I, I've di dived into the statistics, really look for the truth in what makes a US Open champion, really. And what I've found is it comes down to that they need two of these three things. They need to be either tall, they need to be overly muscly, you know, lots of muscles, or they just need to have overall mass. Just like, you know, have a combination of all of the above. They need to have two of these three what do you, things. Do you have a name for this? Yeah, it's called the uh, Beefy Boy Index, the BBI. <laughs> Anybody who's, who's, who's ranking up there in the BBI is absolutely going to be uh, making their way into my investment portfolio. John Rahm, the defending champion, perfect example of a guy who just excels in the BBI rankings. Bryson DeChambeau, protein smoothie, five, six eggs a day, Bryson DeChambeau, <laughs> one at Wingfoot, Dustin Johnson, tall, strong. Really, it's a science, what we're talking about. Yeah, here. yeah. And I then, mean, if you run back through the US Open champions, what, you got Gary Woodland, who else is on this nice list? Nice beefy boy, Gary Woodland. We got Dustin Johnson winning at Oakmont, beating Shane Lowry. Brooks Kepka. You also remember Beef, Andrew Beef Johnston <laughs> at that US Open. The original Open beefy contender. boy. The original beefy boy. <laughs> Brandon Grace and Dustin Johnson were contending down the stretch with the Jordan Spieth win, who's sneaky tall and sneaky strong. Sneaky beefy guy. Sneaky beefy <laughs> Justin, uh, Jordan Spieth, excuse me. So this is why, uh, sadly, I just can't see this happening with Justin Thomas this week. Claire, can you weigh in on the beefy boy index? That was funny because right before you brought that up, I was like, I think Will Zalatoris is going to contend this week, <laughs> which is just the direct opposite. But you made this point at dinner last night and you have you know the data to back it up so i think you're really on to something we'll be reading about it one day and who knows Zalatoris is tall and kind yeah. of strong but i don't I compared don't... to last year he's much stronger yeah. so he could be like a jv beefy boy De definitely trending up in the bbi yeah for sure. yeah for sure who are some bbis that you're looking at this <laughs> week luke uh, so john rahm obviously um is sort of you know that you're that's your top, pick to win top, top, top of the ticket um I think there's a few guys like Hideki Matsuyama, kind of thick, strong, tall Hideki Matsuyama, major champion. I could see running him. out of words to describe just <laughs> being. He looked good on thick. the range today. Yeah. He had a button-down, black Ooh. and white. Yeah. I mean, Shane Lowry, truly, it could just be an absolute hero <laughs> in this. Kind of tall, you know, like inching over six foot, sneaky strong, like real, like burly guy. I could see him making it just beefing a few out of the rough here and a good putter too so do you think brooks kepka has a chance to kind of surprise people this week well once he did that body issue he seemed to slim down a little bit <laughs> which which does make me a little concerned about his ability to sort of navigate out of this rough claire who's going to win the golf tournament <clears throat> justin thomas <laughs> all right do you have any, anything to defend that, or are you just going to let that pick well, speak I mean, for let's, itself? Well, I mean, I think it can speak for itself and how well he's been playing. And then just today, it seems like the course really suits his eye. He has Bones on the bag. Who else? I mean, Bones has obviously been here a handful of times. They just had some great... I mean, if I, had, I might be saying someone else if I followed a different group today, but I felt really good about these guys. Today. All right, you picked up on good vibes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I've picked the same guy to win, like, a major for, I don't know, six of the last eight majors because I'm convinced that on a test that demands a little bit of everything, Xander Shoffley just remains one of the very best golfers in the entire world. He does not rank super high on the Beefy Boy Index, but he's probably a little thicker than people think. He is, but he's not that tall. He's and, not very and, tall. And he's not notably strong. He does have some overall kind of miscellaneous mass in there, <laughs> which I do appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate you appreciating that. I mean, Xander's in that 
group of guys that's not uh, not your favorites, but he's in that next wave. You know, he's going off at 22, 25 to one, somewhere in there. So you're getting about double the value that you would get for a Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas. Um, and I think that that makes it worth it. He's never finished worse than seventh in a U.S. Open start. I think this is going to be either his sixth or his seventh event, and he's contended basically every single time. So I think that that's really promising. Also need to, to give a quick shout-out to Keegan Bradley, who would be my sleeper pick for the week. Major home game situation for Keegan. He's uh, probably New England's proudest golfing son at the moment. And Besides Dio, of course. Yeah, exactly. Besides, you know, DeChair and Rogers. Oh, we've got some people calling in from the blue car next to us. Um, and so, I don't know, Keegan Bradley hits the ball about as well as anybody in the world. Um, until he gets on the green, he's one of the best golfers that there is, even now. But he's been so bad once he gets on the green that he just plays his way out of almost every single golf tournament. My hope is that this week the greens get a little bumpy, and they're so slopey that it's just going to sort of neutralize that advantage for any of the game's great putters. Keegan did have a pretty good putting week a few weeks ago, so maybe he'll get hot and slide into contention. They're definitely tall and strong, so he definitely checks two of those three boxes. Increasingly beefy, too, I think. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's an he's an athlete, so I, I like that pick. Um, at this point, uh, I'm wondering if we have any questions from the crowd. Specifically, the, the table in front seems like they're curious about a couple different things. Um, and then in short time, we're actually going to announce some raffle winners, too. Uh, and then we'll break down a couple final things we're excited for this week. This man in the striped shirt. <laughs> Speak right up. Oh. I guess I have a question. This might be a little disconcerting for some of our listeners. Um, based on the tone of our, our respective voices here. But I, I do wonder whether you all think that the live show is going to be a sideshow that's mm. sort of restricted to the first you know, couple weeks of this whole kind of like circus, or if it's just going to persist until either one side or the other wins out. Are people going to have to answer questions about this every week, or is it just this week? I must say, I do think that's like a slightly under-reported storyline in all this. That what we've seen so far from players committing to live is getting dropped by sponsors, which probably entails some kind of lawsuit or settlement situation. We've seen them have to answer questions in response to like families of 9-11 victims and what they're, you know, having to denounce like, you know, these really thorny geopolitical Oh questions. yeah, I mean, Phil Mickelson sort of calling for a sip of coconut water yesterday during his press conference while he was asked about his response to the families of 9-11 was just a you know, jarring and, visual. And money can buy a lot of things, but I can see some players saying, you know, I don't want the fuss. I don't want to get trotted out there every week and asked about this. The question, of course, is will it become normalized? But we've, cert we've seen no evidence of that so far. All we've seen over the past couple of weeks as this has happened is that it's elevated golf into the mainstream. And more people are talking about these issues now than they were two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I don't see any evidence that it's slowing down. That it's slowing down? It's or how, how it, is, is Liv going to go away? Uh, I don't think Liv's going to go away. I, th I think, like, you know, when we're, start when we're starting to talk 
longer than two years, you know, perhaps. But I reckon the runway is about about two years to see if this thing can get normalized within that. So that's my time. Claire, what have players been saying about the questions, I guess, about the there's like the line of questioning that itself. And then there's the questions about whether the questions should even be asked. Right. Does that make sense? So I think the guys who have committed feel totally awkward about it. And I think the guys who haven't committed are sick of hearing about it because they're not involved. Um, today I was walking with Scotty Scheffler and he said that he's sick of ask, he's sick of being asked about it, but he's also realized that when he goes home at the end of the day, it's all he talks about. So it's like they can't escape it right now. And as much as they hate hearing about it, they're also very interested in it. So Yeah, I think it's interesting to to think about when it does become normalized because at a certain point we've heard all the answers that these guys have to give, right? We've heard that Phil Mickelson is not going to say anything. I mean, Phil's press conference the other day was one of the most painful things I've ever sat through. It was like he was determined in every moment to not show his personality. It was, I mean, I think it backfired because of that. I think if he had come out and and owned the entire thing and basically just told the truth, people would have responded much better to that. But instead it was just filled with non-answers and denials and half-truths. But eventually he will do that enough times or he'll speak to the press little enough that there just won't be that much more for him to say. Um, and maybe that's the point. Maybe from a, from a Saudi perspective, that is kind of the end game, is that it does become normalized uh, that it becomes like, at the very least, oh, this is going to be some good background noise. <laughs> it's the reaction to live. People, it's <laughs> sirens everywhere. Dylan just body bagged somebody with that tape. <laughs> I think that that's the entire point, right? Is that eventually it gets normalized. Eventually the questions about it stop being interesting. And then it just exists as another tour. The one thing that's interesting about this is the reason why it became normalized in other sports is because there were fans of teams that were... So, for instance, Newcastle United was purchased by the same fund that is funding... Yeah, uh, the public investment fund, which is the investment wing of, of the Saudi Arabian government. Exactly. And a lot of soccer people will say that part of the reason it's become normalized in soccer is because you have a huge club's huge fan base sort of pushing the opposing point of view, trying to move the conversation forward and pushing this viewpoint that like, well, why are you asking these questions about Newcastle United, can't we? There's not really that team infrastructure here protecting somebody like Phil Mickelson, for instance. There's not a diehard fan base from a town called Phil right. Mickelson defending this. And so that's really contributed to the sports washing in soccer in a way that not quite comparable to golf. I think what's going to be, uh, what's going to make Liv linger in the news is that it's always going to be there as like a, a dangling carrot for PGA Tour players. Like there's always the possibility that someone that's still playing on the PGA Tour could defect. I mean, that's been a lot of the conversation this week, you know, is Ricky Fowler going? Is Brooks Kepka going? Like there are these rumored big time names that would change the dynamic of the Liv Tour. And we don't yet know if they're going to go or if they're going to go at a later date. And that's going to continue to hang over it. Um, we probably have time for one or maybe two more questions. Taylor in the back. Thank you. 
Um, having spent some time walking around with groups today, I was wondering if there's a hole or even a shot that you're looking forward to watching this week, particularly on Sunday. I'll start with the ninth hole. I think the ninth tee shot is going to uh, cause a little bit of consternation because there's just not really anywhere to hit it. And this was talked about a little bit leading up to it, but then we were walking with Joel Damon today and uh, just asking him about the golf course. And he basically said that he thought it was awesome and terrific. And, you know, he got in at 2 a.m., but he was still struck by, you know, he just said, oh, yeah, well, I don't know about that tee shot on number nine. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a potential area of, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but if people are going to say nasty things about the golf course, that's where it'll be. Do you guys have more positive things to say? I think, is it 11? Is that new part three yes. that they brought into the rotation that's never been played as a USGA hole in an event here? It's like, I think it was 120 yards today. Yeah. It's just an awkward wedge shot. Very that downhill. Might, yeah, that they might not be used to. So I, I'm very curious to see. I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is an easy hole. And they're, you know, putting it over the green. They have this awkward uphill lie back to get on. So I think that's going to be, you could lose a shot or two there for sure. Definitely 11 is good because, yeah, that's what guys are saying. It's 120, 130 yards, but it's pretty downhill. Uh, if the greens are firm, that's an extra dynamic. And then if you miss the green, it almost becomes difficult to hit the green from just green side. So that's where par turns into double pretty quickly. Luke? Um, you know, we just saw a guy just collapse on the 18th hole at the PGA Championship. And I think, you know... I don't think we'll see exactly that here at the US Open, but I do think that there's the potential there when you look at this 18th hole. I mean, we saw Curtis Strange secure a playoff the last time the US Open here. Nick Faldo had a putt to win that he barely missed. Um, the green is just a postage stamp with a huge, you described it as a half pipe earlier past the green. Um, so there's definitely the potential of some messy stuff to happen there. And there's a bunker guarding it. So that's where Curtis Strange was when he was contending for his US Open. So there's a lot of different uh, variations of things that can happen on that final hole that I think is going to make for great te television. I really like the par four third, which is uh, kind of a snaking par four. It's 500 yards or so. And if you hit a long drive and cut the corner just perfectly, you catch a little kicker slope that gets you extra yardage and opens up the hole. But if you play it safer, you lay it back off the tee, then you're leaving yourself like 210, 220 yard approach. Could be a long iron, could be like a, a fairway metal for some of these guys. And you have to hit it over uh, a hill. You can't see the green from there. So it's just one example of, uh, there are a lot of blind shots out here. And it's an example of where, you know, you can take on more risk, um, challenge yourself with driver uh, to push it further up the fairway and hopefully get the reward of actually seeing your target on the approach in or laying back and then really having to hit a more difficult shot. Any last questions? I think we're good. What are you guys most excited for this week? On or off the oh, golf course? We have, we have one oh, last we got question. One <laughs> Hey guys, uh, heard you talking about the Live Tour earlier. I'm wondering, who do you think is the next uh, defection? Oh man. Next to Who's go. Who's coming next? This Ricky. feels like a journalistically questionable thing to answer. <laughs> Luke, how well sourced are you? <laughs> <laughs> so look, I think there's been some obvious names linked and you can, you, I think there are two keys that as a golf fan, I would look for with this. I would try to keep an eye on um, 
players in certain cliques with other players who have defected, right? So, uh, like, Joaquin Neiman is a name that's sort of been linked with this. If you look at, um, you, you know, you look at, like, Henrik Stenson has been a name that's been linked, which makes sense when you consider that Lee Westwood and, you know, Martin Keimer and all his Ryder Cup buddies have all defected. So I would start trying to, you know, when you're trying to figure out if there are rumors that have any weight behind them or just a names getting thrown out there, I would try to see like what the people they're associated with are doing. Um, so yeah, so those are the, and then obviously you can tell also by players who just are straight not denying this. Mm -hmm. Ricky Fowler was a name that we've brought up a lot of times today. Sounds like he um, is by all public indications <laughs> Like is considering yeah. um, considering a conversation with that. Ricky's in a really interesting place because I mean, look, he he's here this week, uh, currently second alternate still, so he's probably not going to get into the U.S. Open field. He's signed up for the Travelers Championship next week, so that would mean that he would still be on the PGA Tour, even though everyone that has played in a live event has been suspended from the PGA Tour. Um, but then he has also openly said that he's considering going, that he hasn't really made up his mind. So far, guys giving non-answers have generally been the guys going. Brooks Kepka gave a really interesting non-answer today. Um, Claire, do you have anything you feel like you can responsibly say? <laughs> um, well, I think Ricky's probably the most interesting character here because even today he's playing with the PGA Tour guys who, you know, are super committed. He's yes. with, um, I mean, JT is probably one of his closest friends on tour, but he's in a totally different spot in his career than JT is. So, yeah, I think he's the most interesting character that it could kind of go either way, but I could see leaning towards him going to live. Yeah, and I think that what's going to potentially change is these top names going. So Dustin Johnson opened the floodgates to some extent. I think that he gave a lot of other guys permission to take this all seriously. Um, and I think that there could be a little bit of a snowball effect if a couple guys that are actually at the top of their game start making the jump too so i don't know if that answers your question james but uh i would expect that we'll hear a couple more names confirmed within the next week and oh yeah and i guess to luke's point guys that have common agents yeah. uh, you mentioned joaquin neiman has an, a common agent with sergio garcia there are spheres of influence there that uh, that are very real rory talked about his decision to stay on the european tour back in 2011 when he was, you know, in his very early 20s, and he said that he got really bad advice. That's what he was saying today. Um, so, you, you know, you can't forget that these guys are just athletes in their early 20s. Um, so they don't necessarily have it all figured out, and they are going to listen a lot and lean hard on the people around them. Uh, and then Henrik Stenson would be my final point. I don't think he's going because he's signed on to be the Ryder Cup captain. Um, and there was a very interesting contrast between him and his Ryder Cup teammates last week when they were playing in their first live invitational you know Lee Westwood Sergio Garcia uh, Martin Keimer Graham McDowell uh, Ian Poulter he was at his own new event which he was co-hosting with Annika Sorenstam uh, a DP World Tour event in Sweden where men and women play together at the same time and uh, Lynn Grant won by nine shots. So she was the only woman in the top 10, but she beat everyone in the field by nine. And Henrik Stenson finished T2. So he was not taking the money, but instead kind of standing for uh, history and legacy with the Ryder Cup. 
and then also for progress with this you know other revolutionary format so that is something that i've been thinking a lot about is henrik stenson's role in all of this uh thank you for the question james uh, what are you most excited about this week Luke, you start us off. A, th a thrilling Sepp Straka victory on nice. Sunday. The man who is perfectly embodies the BBI. <laughs> Strong, fantastic golf swing, rips the golf ball. Uh, I think uh, you know that's a that's a future Ryder Cup waiting to happen. And what better way to kick it off than a U.S. Open victory on Sunday? Claire, what has you excited? Saturday. I love moving mm. day. I think, you know, the next two days will, or after tomorrow, we'll see kind of how things are unfolding and we'll have a better, like, look at the leaderboard on Saturday. And I think a winner could emerge on Saturday afternoon. I think I'm excited for um, just a proper U.S. Open. I, I think it's great that there's going to be extra eyeballs and extra attention this week. But my hope for the future of professional golf is that what ends up happening is a great tournament breaks out and i think that once play starts on thursday obviously this live stuff will continue to be a storyline but i hope that the guys in contention are guys that are at the peak of their game i hope the golf course is really hard and then i hope that the the right guys kind of find their way to the top of the leaderboard sets us up for a, a really dastardly saturday sunday and uh a fight to the finish so i guess it's not very specific but I'm just hoping for a great golf tournament because I think that that's probably what, well, the PGA Tour and like professional golf needs right now. Oh, here, here. I think that'd be brilliant. All right. We are, uh, that's going to do it for us at the drop zone. We are going to announce prizes for the raffle in a second, but thank you guys for putting up with us for the last hour. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Did you 